Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hello there, you're very welcome to Monday's Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast. Oh, McDevitt here with Ken and Murphy. Feels good to say that for the first time in a few weeks. Welcome back, Owen. Hi, Ken. How are you doing, Owen? Hi, Ken. I'm doing I okay. You. How have you? Did you, did you yeah. actually miss me, or is it just a polite thing that you say to somebody who's come home from a long break? First week, didn't miss you. <laughs> uh, but by the third week, I really, I, I almost built a little shrine to you. I yearned for you, Owen. This sometimes happens when I go away. I, I find it quite gratifying that Ken realizes I do do a small bit of work around here. <laughs> I only just... It doesn't seem to notice when I'm actually doing the work, <laughs> when I'm not around. It's like, this guy does some stuff. No, no, no. You don't miss the water till the well runs dry. Yeah. I'm going to deal with the Richie Sadler issue in the non-football podcast. And cool. you've got, I know that you've got quite a bit to get Let's off your Let's just say though. this Richie Sadler carnage, Murph. Stops mm. right here. It stops right now. I've <laughs> uh, been a bit discombobulated since I got back. Does this ever happen to you? After your yeah, weapon. of course. Like, oh, no, you, you don't have much of a. You would. It wouldn't be jet lag, I suppose. The time difference is negligible. No, you it? just sort of forget forget what what it is that you that you do. Mm. I mean, who you are. I, I, I came into the office this morning. First day in Murph, decided I wanted to set a good impression yeah, after yeah. being away for the. I was. I was certainly impressed after being away for the entirety of 2017 so far. I figured it is January 23rd. Mm, I 20 well, minutes should get me right back on track. Yeah, I might as well get into work at a reasonable time. And I just sat there vacantly watching the alarm. Beep, beep, beep! Put punching in random codes. I don't, I don't know what this alarm code is. No, Simon's going to give out to me. Landlord's going to ring. This is all going to be a terrible start. Just right at the death. Somehow it came back. You know when you stop thinking for a second. It's like yeah, you're yeah. forgetting your pin number. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. The more you think, the less you remember. Clear so, your head completely and let your fingers say, yeah. remember where to go. A couple of seconds to spare. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I mean, I, I've often found as well, say on holidays that. Like at the start of the holiday, I would always be concerned that I wouldn't be able to unwind and forget about work. <laughs> and then, uh, obviously, you know, within like uh, two hours of the plane landing, I'm like, well, yeah. I can't remember what I used to do for a living. But That's, this uh, this certainly seems like a much better idea than working for, for your life. But apparently this is what I do for a living. Uh, talk about Wayne Rooney, Ken. Salute Wayne Rooney. Rooney. That's mostly what I talk about for uh, enjoy, a living. Enjoy your, uh, your job, Owen. You won't work it in your life. <laughs> Greatest goal scorer in the history of Manchester United. He didn't look too overjoyed about it. I mean, uh, he didn't look in any way happy. I know that he had to pedal the party line that we dropped two points today, but it's not as though he had scored and then the equaliser, a late equaliser, took away his moment of glory. He actually rescued a point which Man United aren't going to win the league, but they could easily qualify for the Champions League, and this could be the kind of point that makes sure that, that they do that comfortably. And yet he didn't, I didn't see, he eventually cracked a smile on Match of the Day when Gary Lineker was interviewing him because I think he really likes Gary Lineker. Mm. But it was mostly pretty stony-faced stuff, I thought. Well, I think that's because Wayne Rooney is more than a great goal scorer, as you said, a great professional and a man who understands the game and who understands that one-all at Stoke is nothing to get too excited about. Uh, it was a case of if, if Rooney had had, you know, gone on a mad run behind the goal, whirling his shirt over his head Re- and sort of revealed, dived revealed to the Revealed a message to Sir Bobby. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I don't think that would have gone down over well. It really, it really wouldn't have. You know, it's, it's, we were talking about the, um, 
It was, it was Arsenal, Giroud, while, while you were away. I don't know, you, you, you may not have seen it on, you may have been um, tracking lions in, in Kruger Park or wherever it was. Um, but we were watching Olivier Giroud celebrate a late equaliser against uh, Bournemouth mm. by prancing about, uh, kicking his heels in the air. As Hilariously he, reenacting a goal from three days beforehand, which didn't go down over well. Only to uh, to absolutely enrage all the Arsenal fans who wanted him to concentrate on maybe scoring another goal. How long does how long do, does Drew last in the good books of Arsenal fans? I did see his back heel goal, mm-hmm. which probably seems a lifetime ago to you guys now. So I assumed I'd come back and uh, the Arsenal fans would be, or certainly Giroud would be riding a wave of good feeding. That only lasted a few days? That lasted three days. <laughs> all right, okay. And then that goal was subsequently held against him. Uh, and used as a stick to oh, beat him no. over the head with, even though he just scored another goal, a, a goal to salvage a game in which Arsenal had been 3 0 down. This is great. It feels like I, I'm learning about a new sport. Uh, it's it's like you're going to get a crash course in four weeks of football without having to watch all four weeks of football. I mean, everyone's a winner. Football. But uh, you were saying Giroud. Got a bit of stick for that. Rooney went down a different route. Well, well, everybody, everybody's like, what are you so happy about, Giroud? We've only scored an equaliser. This is a disaster for Arsenal Football Club. And you there, you know, think you're, it's totally inappropriate to the moment. So Rooney, I think, demonstrated admirable maturity and understanding of uh, uh, Manchester United, the aims of the club, the aspirations of the club. And even though it was a goal to break a record and a brilliant goal, to break the record, he um, was able to keep it in perspective. Mm. Also, the thing is, this record has been has been on the cards for seasons, like ages. Mm. People have been talking about this this record for ages, and Rooney has just been inching towards it at an impossibly slow pace, you know, and you know, squeezing the last bit of toothpaste out of the tube. And when he eventually cracked it, you know, it was kind of he probably thought he would have got to this point some time ago. Allow me to present an alternative view, mm-hmm. uh, which. I think has nothing to do with Olivier Giroud getting a load of the stick. I actually did think that was Wayne Rooney's actual reaction to scoring the goal. No, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I don't think Giroud is in Rooney's head at all. I'm just saying that in contrast to Giroud, who got really excited about scoring a goal, mm. which which rescued a late point, Rooney was still thinking, one all is no good. I really mean afterwards, though. Afterwards, game is finished. You're doing your interviews. Are, you can look a little bit more pleased with what you've done, mm. I would have thought. What a piece of toothpaste it was. You Normally, to k- keep on that analogy, Ken, normally when you finally squeeze out that bit of toothpaste, yeah. it's, it's, a miserable, it's, it's a miserable bit. Your like teeth a, aren't cleaned. A, Perhaps right. you're even getting, you know, a tiny little sort of tweezers to get the encrusted bit of toothpaste that's actually been blocking this, the, the toothpaste <laughs> yeah. on the bottom of the tube. You're sort of coagulating around the... The nozzle there. Yeah, I mean it, that, this is a perfectly shaped, uh, a sort of a pea-sized globule. If anything, it, could it have was, come straight yeah. from a toothpaste ad. A more so uh, beautiful, it, was probably this. more accurate analogy would be uh, ketchup bottle. You know the glass ketchup bottles, mm. and you're trying for ages to shake that last bit out or shake yeah, a bit yeah. out, and then suddenly a big, amazing globule covers your plate, <laughs> and you dip the <laughs> chips in. You know, you know, you've really, yeah, had ketchup before. Really good. I'm glad you're back on. Yeah, email here for you, Ken. Oh yeah. John O'Sullivan. I'm surprised at Ken's continued loss of his usual balance and intelligent discourse when it comes to talking about. Do you have any guess what it might be? Um, you get criticised for a lot, but what are you getting criticised for most at the moment? Oh, I don't know. It's uh, Jose Mourinho. Jose Mourinho. In a recent podcast, Kieran noted that Man United played brilliantly against Arsenal, to which Ken replied, if they played brilliantly, they would have won. This is a surprising statement from someone who I would think of as having a very good grasp of soccer and its intricacies. There are countless examples of teams <laughs> playing brilliantly but not winning oh, games. Threw some shade on you there. For Ken. a variety of reasons. John O'Sullivan continues. Ken does seem to come out with a lot of irrational and contradictory comments when he talks to Mourinho relative to his comments on other coaches. For example, unless he has some unique insight into what goes on at the Man United training ground, he claims Mourinho completely mismanaged Mkhitaryan. Another statement Ken made, that to be honest was mad, was that he, Ken, was amazed Mourinho gives Mkhitaryan no credit for speaking Portuguese. What has that got to do with anything? <laughs> Anyhow, I could go on, but it's just been very surprising how Ken loses his composure and speaks less intelligently when it comes to Mourinho. <laughs> That's a good email. Starts with the fact, starts with the main point, few examples, finishes with the main point. Well, I wouldn't necessarily agree with anything Ken Early says about football. Well, the Portuguese point is, is clearly not a, not a serious point. I mean... You know that, that that's not serious. What was the other thing? The, oh, if they if they should have won if they played that well. Yeah. Well, that's, if you play well, you win. That's you maybe maybe it. that's a bit of a stupid point as well. Although I do think brilliantly was probably over egging it a bit. You know. Um, but you're coming back to John O'Sullivan here. You're accepting some of this criticism. 
Uh, well, I think that uh, I'm trying. Bonnet about Mourinho for some. Reason. I would say actually that I'm one of the few sources of balance on Jose Mourinho in this in this uh, English language media uh, landscape, this international English language media landscape that we have. I am one of the few people actually taking a balanced view of what's happening here. There are a lot of. Why has man- he always got to be a foreign manager? There's uh, <laughs> there uh, there are a lot of Man United fans uh, this morning, Ken. Uh-huh. Eagerly looking forward to you decrying Jurgen Klopp's disgusting anti-football. Someone actually tweeted me about that. Yeah, Cause, cause Joel Maddop up front. Joel Maddop came the on. The big man up top. Joel Maddop came on in injury time. You know, the ninety-third minute, and they played like a single long ball. And it was like, well, what? Where's your article on betraying the traditions of Liverpool Football Club? Well, if he maybe if he'd done it fifteen minutes earlier, Liverpool would have won the game. Uh, well, maybe maybe he he should have. I mean, I thought. I mean, the point is actually still valid. He thought it was a good idea, so well, and he's gone and done it. Well, so. well, I suppose the point would be valid if you looked at Liverpool's bench and you could see uh, an outstanding young striker on the bench, but he'd already put on those two strikers that he had, Origi and Sturridge. I mean, they, they were the guys he went for before in the last minute putting on Matter. The question I had... Transfer window mismanagement, okay, gotcha. Whereas Mourinho left Rashford on the bench and, and you know went for Fellaini... Um, you know, with, with a solid twenty minutes still to play, uh, and had been playing that way for forty-five minutes in terms of boom, head, let's see what happens. You know, it's in the mixer. Uh, there's a fifty-fifty chance it'll go our way. Uh, the question I had actually was why uh, was Matip not involved in the game a little bit earlier as a defender? Because it seems to me that he's a very important player, or they certainly concede. They concede about half, uh, 50% fewer goals, or rather it takes them 50% longer to concede a goal when he plays compared to when he doesn't. So if he was fit, I think he probably should have been on the pitch. But um, who's to say what the thinking was behind the decision? Thanks for the email. John O'Sullivan, Sid Lowe is going to talk to us later on about Real Madrid's recent mini-crisis, which they arrested over the weekend. But they did lose those two games before that after winning winning 40 in a row. That would have been impressive. But a 40-game uh, unbeaten run. Uh, always good to have Sid on on a, on a Monday afternoon. Ken, let's report on some sport, please. Um, you mentioned Rooney anyway. I suppose we might as well start with him. Um, a couple of things. For, <clears throat> there's an article in Times today by Matthew Syed, which talks about how Rooney, people, you know, shouldn't insult Rooney's intelligence. Do people still do that? How do I you mean, mean insult his intelligence? Well, the, you know, laugh at the, the idea that Wayne Rooney is somehow thick. I don't think that actually has... I haven't noticed that happening too much over the over the recent times. Um, Syed makes the point that, well, actually, there's a, you know, um, don't... Under, he, first of all, quotes a lot of Rooney's school reports in which the teacher keeps noting that he's good at maths and helps others and is a constructive little boy. Um, but then he talks about how Rooney's mocked, uh, you know, by... Well, there's not too many examples actually given of it. Um but, you know, consider the the genius that goes into flighting a ball. You know, the, the kind yeah. of goal he scored the other day, I suppose. Yeah. Um, the, the the calculations, you know, the the supercomputer you require to put together this precise move, you know, and uh, talks a bit about how maybe Rooney, uh, Rooney doesn't come from a well-off background, talks a bit about how rich... Uh, uh, the children from affluent backgrounds tend to do better in school uh, than children from less well-off backgrounds, uh, and how this has to do with um, what happens over the summer when the sort of rich kids are off uh, being going to camps and being taken to museums and all this kind of stuff, um, whereas children from poor backgrounds, generally speaking, aren't. So they fall behind over the summer rather than in school. Anyway, blah blah blah. I didn't really, I wasn't really sure about the basis for this because I can't remember really that being a thing. I mean Rooney was was mocked certainly when he uh, arrived uh, you know when, when he was like 17 or 18 years old mm. um, it was, I mean I remember who was it, Moyes, didn't Moyes tell him to take his chewing gum out? It was very at, at the start, he was a young lad in fairness, exactly. he was incredibly he was very monosyllabic, he looked like maybe because, and also maybe because of his size and because of how he carried himself on the pitch, people were I don't know, expecting, 
I'm actually, I, to, to be honest, I'm almost I'm just trying to find where the rationale comes from because maybe there was that thought all those years ago. It's kind of hard to remember. Certainly not recently. I don't think. No, I don't think so either. Sense that he's, he's, um, seems seems bright enough in interviews. Like, he doesn't give it much away, but that's the same. That's the idea <laughs> for, mo- for most footballers. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know. Is there an argument that? <clears throat> sorry, excuse me. That that when, that Rooney used to be. He used to be kind of held up as, you know, the avatar of the spoiled Premier League footballer for whatever reason, or the, you know, uneducated Premier League footballer. And that's in a, like, say, since Euro 2016 or during your, like, Raheem Sterling took up that particular mantle, mm. that it just kind of gets passed to the next young thing. That it's one thing to be rich in 30, but it's another thing entirely to be rich in 20. Mm. And that's the, that's where the, you know, sort of where the hate gets. Uh, gets built up, you know, the, the, this idea that you can be twenty-one and have more money than you ever, than you could ever have imagined, is somehow distasteful when it's a footballer from a council estate. Yeah, well, I think that's the, I think the, the last bit of what you're saying is kind of coming closer to what it's about because I think there's obviously class prejudice involved, um, and in the case of Raheem Sterling, I think it's probably complicated by a certain amount of racism as well, uh, in terms of the, uh, the attitude to. Uh, his success, you know, that you see in certain newspapers, you know, suddenly we're a Raheem Sterling is part of an English squad that does badly in the Euros, and suddenly he's being ripped in the papers for buying uh, an expensive house, house for, for his, his mother. mother. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you know, where is that coming from? I suppose you have to ask it. But Rooney, anyway, was being fated by the uh, media last night, receiving the Football Writers Association Award for outstanding achievement in the field of excellence <laughs> uh, at a um, at a big uh, do down in London. This is an award. Well, the association, the FWA Tribute Award, uh, which is given to, you know, it's kind of a, basically, can we get a big guest along yeah. for our, for <laughs> our uh, uh, Frank Lampard, Thierry Henry, Gary Neville and Paul Scholes had to share it for some reason in 2012. Stevie G, 2013. Jose Mourinho, Didier Drogba. This year, Wayne Rooney. And what did Wayne Rooney do? He appealed for peace between players and media. He says, the younger players now have to understand that the media are a massive part of football. I've seen firsthand since becoming captain of United England players have to realise the media has a huge influence on the game, especially on young England players. They're the ones who have to go out and perform under huge pressure. It's tough, and I feel it's sometimes unfair. Sometimes it's right. So the one thing for me that should happen at this moment in time, there's a huge gap between the media and players. I think the quicker both media and players need to come together and meet in the middle, the better it will be for English football. So, Wayne Rooney has a dream. Lots of people have shared that dream. But unfortunately, I think we're a long way away from from that ever happening. And I mean, why? I mean, this, I suppose part of it has to do with some of, some of the stuff we've already talked about. Some of it has to do with just uh, how how much fun newspapers can have destroying players, or mocking them, trolling them. Uh, and how entertaining people find that. Uh, and then you've also got to take into account fake news, Owen. A bit of fake fake news is obviously the, the big thing these days. It's kind of the, it's the, uh, the coming thing. And uh, there was an outbreak of it in, in football there last week when, <laughs> when uh, Lionel Messi gave an interview to Coach magazine speaking to Uruguayan journalist Diego Yocas. Uh, and it turned out that this was a fake interview. Oof. It was a totally made-up interview. Now, the interesting thing about the fact that the... I mean, eventually, the, the magazine, Coach Magazine, uh, realized, that as people got back to them, were messy, eventually denounced the interview and said it didn't take place. Um, they So they took it down. And they said, we're aware of certain issues with this interview where it's been called into question. So apparently completely made up. Uh, the journalist, Diego Jocas, he wasn't involved in it at all. He put, he put it, look, I didn't do this. I don't know where this had come from. It's nothing to do with me. Um, uh, but the interesting thing about the fake interview is how realistic it is. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> how easy it is to make it sound like a bona fide interview. How do, you know, what about your contract renewal situation, Leo? I have always said that Barcelona has given me everything, and I am here for as long as they want me to be. Um, who is your best coach? Um, all the coaches I have played under, I have learned things from. But you always look back to the one that gave you that first chance. That was Reichardt for me. He had to show that trust in me to train with the first team, then play my first game. He started everything for me. Uh, what about uh, 
What's the other thing you obviously ask you know, Messi about if you're doing an interview? Cristiano Ronaldo. Correct, Owen. Uh, there is a mutual respect. I view him as a great player who's achieved great things because that is exactly what he is. My motivation, though, has always come from wanting to do well for Barcelona and Argentina and the fans. This is clever fake interviewing. <laughs> you, don't want to, you don't want to blow, you don't want any ridiculous quotes. You just want stuff that maybe they would say. Yeah. You know, you're not trying to claim any sort of uh, bombs on, on behalf of your interviewing technique. Yeah. Uh, so you make it, you make it sort of realistic. You make it incredibly boring. Pretty boring. And you hope it doesn't attract any attention. <laughs> You hope your fake interview doesn't attract any attention. And then, I guess, profit. Uh, but unfortunately, even an unbelievably boring Lionel Messi interview in which he says exactly the kinds of things that he might say uh, attracts enough attention that people are, are eventually say, hang on, did, did this happen? Or, or, yeah. or comes back to Messi and he says, well, I didn't do this. Um, so there you go. It's not, it's not the first time that sort of thing has happened, but uh, it is an illustration of the sort of uh, reasons why that relationship between players and journalists that Rooney talks about are under such press- pressure. I mean, we don't know who is responsible for doing that interview, but whoever it is, he's or he or she has got to make a living, you know. And while that economic pressure exists, um, you know, corners are going to be cut, eggs are going to be broken, relationships with between media and players are going to be soured. The Chelsea game yesterday featured, well, unfortunately, fe- featured Diego Costa scoring and yeah. silencing his critics. Ugh. But uh, also this horrible incident for Ryan Mason. Yeah. Um, Ryan Mason served a fractured skull in a clash of heads with Gary Cahill. Uh, I mean, a corner coming into the box from the Chelsea right. Uh, Gary Cahill is going for quite a deep corner. Ryan Mason's going to actually get there first and he's going to, as he jumps, the ball is coming towards him. He's he's facing the ball, and he's going to flick the ball with a movement of his head sort of from 12 to 3 or 4 o'clock. And he's going to flick the ball away from the danger area that way. But unfortunately, just as he executes, executes his flick on the ball, uh, Gary Cahill's forehead drives into the side of his head um, with the full force of Gary Cahill behind it. And pretty distressing scene ensued. Uh Mason, obviously completely confused on the ground and in a lot of pain, um, took a, a long time for him to be uh, taken off the field to ultimately St. Mary's Hospital where he's undergone surgery and a fractured skull. He apparently is now in a stable condition. Um, the injury time added resulted in the latest ever first half goal in the Premier League with Diego Costa scoring the 53rd minute of the first half. Did you enjoy his celebration? What was that? Uh, the, the sort of mouthy... Uh, you did the... the the oh, you can happy all keep, lips. Yeah, you can all keep talking. Who was he talking to? The Chelsea fans? I mean, who who was who was that directed at? His agent and uh, the Chinese <laughs> clubs. You <laughs> no, can continue to talk about yeah. my future. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's no surprise, I think, to, to see him back. We were talking about that last week. Uh, I'm sure himself and Conte, it's always going to be a stormy relationship. And uh, they've, they've managed to, uh, you know, get back together. And I'm sure it won't be the last time that they fall out, but for the time being. It doesn't look like the, the fans are that bothered about it as well. I mean, Rooney had a bit of winning over of the supporters to do when he almost left a few years ago. Mm. Costa seems to have just breezed back in. Nobody seems too pushed. Ah, You'll probably go to China eventually. We all know this. Yeah, Chelsea fans may be more, more realistic about the I, attachment of their players to the club. Yeah, I was going to Possibly. say something very uncharitable about Chelsea there. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, it probably... It probably does have an impact in its way, though. I don't think so. I don't think people look at things in that rational way. Well, you know, we profited from this geopolitical accident, and, you know, our oligarch owner just happened to have more money than everyone else, and that wasn't really kind of fair in the sense of fair to everyone else. Uh, so we maybe swings and roundabouts have to accept that this is going to happen to us. I don't think people think but about was, anything in that way. It was pretty weird, though, that literally inside 40 seconds... Within 20 seconds, Diego Costa had a shot on goal that went narrowly wide, and the entire stadium rose as one to sing his name, even mm. though he'd been trying to negotiate an exit <laughs> from that club, and he hadn't played in the two previous games because of the underhand or whatever nature of those talks. Just That's trying, pretty weird to they're me. just trying to show... I, I mean, I think the reason he wasn't playing the game is because he had a fight with the coaching staff. You know, there was, there was like a bust-up in, in, in training, you know, where he acted in such a way that Conte kicked him out saying, you know, you have to apologise. And he obviously must have um, in, in order to get back in. That's the reason. It wasn't, it wasn't he was being 
exiled from squad because of this transfer speculation. You know what I mean? It, there was there was a, there was also a, an incident uh, which caused them to. Do it. But I think Chelsea fans are just showing their love, their appreciation. You know, please stay. We love you. You know, they won't love you like we love you over there. Um, they don't know you like we know you. Uh, most of them wanted him sold this time last year. But, you know, he has played very well since then. Jose Mourinho was speaking about it. I mean, I, I don't know where Mourinho's coming from with this. Um, I mean, listen to what he says. He's, first of all, he kind of is defending Diego Costa, or at least defending the idea that he might move to Chelsea. Diego Costa, of course, is no longer his player. He says, I don't like to be critical with players that are going to China. It's their life, it's their organization of life, it's their organization of career. The money is huge. The experience can also be very interesting. Now, of course, Jose Mourinho was in China with George Mendes, the agent who's behind so many of the deals taking um, foreign, player, foreign players to China. Uh, he was in China with Mendes back around this time last year, I mean, he, when he was between jobs. Um, so it's clearly a, a scene over there that he knows a little bit about. And he's not going to be too critical of it because... Who knows what the future might bring? Uh, but he says, I know some of my colleagues, they think they're more important than they are. <laughs> they're critical with the lives of other people. I am not this kind of guy. I think everyone is responsible for his own life. That is why I am not critical with anyone. But in Wayne's case, I have no idea. He never mentioned anything to me. You will have to ask him. The future belongs to him and what he wants from his career. The way he wants to end it and enjoy this last part of his career belongs to him I think he has more to give us he has more to give us but again I repeat he has reached a certain level in his career could anyone be critical with Zlatan last summer if he decided to go to China or the US could anyone be critical with one guy with such an amazing career no and I think with Wayne it's the same he owns his life he owns his career it's him his family and his decision but of course I see him with an important contribution for us so Zlatan Ibrahimovic, age 35 years. Wayne Rooney, age 31 years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is... Poor old Wayne. Rooney was sowing a little bit of a seed there. Jago Costa wants to go to China. Big deal. Wayne Rooney, who could blame him? You know, but you will have to ask Wayne. So maybe somebody will. He's never seemed to show any interest in going to China. Uh, but who knows? Things change. People change. Uh, there was another thing from Mourinho, um, which is that Manchester United, thanks to Rooney's goal are now unbeaten in 17 matches. But Jose Mourinho doesn't call an unbeaten run an unbeaten run. He calls it an unbeatable run, which I think is much better. <laughs> the unbeatable run is very nice. 17 matches, a lot of matches. If you start now with the first match, unbeatable. So, uh, yeah, unbeatable. Pep gave, uh, Pep gave his... What were his quotes again on Friday? Uh, maybe I'm not good enough. Maybe it's me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's not. It's not me. No, he doesn't believe that it's me. I think no. he's just being snotty with the press. I'm so happy, believe me. <laughs> Did you see him on the match of day? Match of day. Believe me. Uh, I'm uh, so happy, believe me. So, so the first question: the camera cuts to the camera cuts to Pep, and he's being interviewed by the post-match interviewer, and they're both looking at an incident, which it turns out was the Walker foul that Sterling, wasn't given yeah, on, yeah. on Sterling. So the interviewer, I'm sorry, I don't know, I can't remember which one it was, says, so uh, we'll start with that incident, you know, you think it should have been a penalty? And he says, you're starting with you're starting with the referee, first question. Yeah. And he's like, you were the BBC, you were prestigious. You were prestigious, you are the BBC. And he says, yes, but, you know, we've just seen the video. It was, it was like, okay, fine, and we'll talk about it. <laughs> I quite enjoy Pep interviews, particularly when things are going badly. Yeah, yeah. I quite enjoy them. And I mean, and the game, it was, it was one of their best performances for ages. You know, they obviously was a disappointing result because they're 2-0 up and don't win. It's sickening. And that, that uh, foul on Sterling would have been penalty, probable red card, probable goal, probably 3-0, game over. Instead of which, Walker, a minute later, is setting up a goal that gets Tottenham back into the game. So, really sickening. And most managers, I think, would have spent a lot of time talking about that. Guardiola didn't want to talk about it. And I thought it was a match that showed a lot of the qualities that makes that, that make Guardiola such a good coach, because, uh, well, first of all, he he you know he doesn't he doesn't he really doesn't want to get involved in a lot of this kind of bullshit around referees, which which managers kind of get drawn into. But more importantly, when you look at the way that Manchester City approached the game, they're out they're out of form. They got hammered by Everton four 0 recently. Um, a lot of things are going wrong for them. Tottenham are getting away from them in the league. Tottenham are a really tough 
really tough opponent. You know, maybe the informed team in the league at the moment. And managers, a lot of managers, I think, would look at the Tottenham team and think, how are we going to stop these guys? And Guardiola thought, we'll, our best approach to this game is to try and play Tottenham off the park. And they went with, like, Yaya Toure as a defensive midfielder. Yaya Toure is not a defensive midfielder. You know, he's not. But Guardiola said, okay, you know, we'll, we'll put in there. We're going to go with De Bruyne and Silva, both as, you know, attacking midfielders. And three, three guys up front, you know, two of whom, well, Sané certainly is very inexperienced. You know, Sterling is, is actually quite an experienced Premier League player, despite his youth. But I, don't, I can't think of any other managers who would have done that against this Tottenham team. Everyone else, I think, would have gone a little bit more careful. And Guardiola said, no, let's do it. So Guardiola, what I'm saying is he's brave. He actually believes in the player's ability to do this. It's, I, th- I think that that's really a really important quality when it comes to getting the best out of your players. You can kind of believe in the maximum of their potential. Say, I trust you to actually go out there and play Tottenham off the park. That's what I... I believe you can do it. It's not a case of, okay, you have to be covering your fullback at all times. Kevin, you know, I, I don't want uh, if I don't want Musa de- Musa Dembele gets away from you one time, you're off. You know, you know, there's a lot of managers. We all know the ones. Yeah. We all know which managers would have looked at the game that way. Cancellation, you know, ca- let's cancel Tottenham. Let's nullify Tottenham. Let's hope to edge this, but whatever we do, don't lose. And that's not what Guardiola is. Okay, but surely at 2-0 up, there's got to be something you can do Maybe you change the change tack a little bit or rein it in somewhat, or were they just unlucky? Well, get a I think they were unlucky. Get a goalkeeper who doesn't let in sixteen goals from the last twenty-four shots that he's faced in the Premier League. Well, um, yeah, twenty-five goals from fifty-nine shots on target. Um, Claudio Bravo. It's not actually the uh, what he is is. He, <laughs> there's something interesting here with, with Bravo. Okay, obviously it's been. It's been woeful. You know, even the song goal for Tottenham, I think, you know, you're hoping your goalkeeper saves that. You know what I mean? But uh, so so I think uh, he hasn't made a save since like the 2nd of January or something and every shot goes in. You know, it's kind of depressing. It's for Man City (laughs) almost playing without a goalkeeper. (laughs) At least in terms of if they get a shot, they're going to score. Some things do say the same. It's such that you have to think 11 outfield players is, you know, is an option, you know? And he has made fewer saves than any of the... I think there's, you know, 30-something goalkeepers have played at a minute in the Premier League this season, and he's made the fewest saves per 90 minutes of any goalkeeper. But you've got to remember that that also reflects the fact that he's playing a team that doesn't concede many shots. Luckily for Man City, they don't concede many shots. They concede uh, fewer shots than any team in the league. Shots on their goal. Fewer shots than any team in the league apart from Liverpool. Um, so 19th out of 20 teams in terms of the number of shots that they actually have on goal. Um, now, if you look at if you look at the statistics, it was a thing on BBC showing the um, the sort of expected goals conceded. Yes, expected goals, Uh-oh. expected goals conceded versus actual goals conceded. Simon's a little slow on the hockey's today, huh? There was a, I, I was expecting you hear expected goals. Yeah, you know, you know what we want. Yeah. Um, so the point. Uh, the point about it, the point, the point about this measure, is that uh, so what? So, I mean, we, do we need to explain expected goals again? I mean, okay, you can every shot that that happens, you can assign a sort of how likely is it that this shot goes in, mm. given where it's from, given what kind of shot it is, you know. Uh, Nerd right. nonsense. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> That's the one. Look, <laughs> <laughs> Ken, Ken died a little bit there. Look, the sadness in his eyes. Let's let's just try and understand this this concept, okay? So it's, it's a way of measuring how good or bad, uh, you know, a, a striker is or a goalkeeper is. Because you can do it with goalkeepers as well. It's like, given where this shot was, the type of shot it was, and so on. What are the chances that it goes in the net? What are the chances that the goalkeeper saves it? And by comparing the two figures, what are the chances that he should save it compared to did he save it? you can work out whether or not a goalkeeper is doing better or worse than expected. Now, Bravo is doing a lot worse than expected. Apparently, he's let in about seven more goals than he should have let in. Uh, he should have let in about 16, and instead it's been 23. So it's not great. But there are actually goalkeepers worse than him by this measure. Fabianski at Swansea, Ron Robert Zeeler, who's um, been playing a good bit for Leicester, and David Marshall at Hull. 
who's been living in a lot of goals. Uh, Fraser Forster is just better than Bravo in this. And Forster is kind of the opposite goalkeeper from Bravo. He's an enormous, hulking English oak. You know what I mean? He is, and if you see him, he, he is like, that's a goalkeeper. You know what I mean? You see, he walked in. drawing a goalkeeper. He, if he walked into a bar and you didn't know idea who he is, you'd look at him and go, that's a goalkeeper. That's it. This is a goalkeeper. Take a walk around. Take a walk around the lad there. Walk, <laughs> take a walk around my new goalkeeper. You know, and he's, and he's performing very similarly, you know, statistically speaking, yeah. to Bravo, but obviously not getting anything like the, um, the critical uh, panic. The other similarity to note between Forster and Bravo is that uh, Forster also plays for a team that doesn't concede a lot of shots. Southampton are good at preventing the opponent from shooting on their goal. So what you get with them is a sort of a sample. They don't get to make many saves. Forster doesn't make many saves, but he doesn't face many shots. Uh, and also he lets in a lot of the shots he faces. <laughs> I don't know exactly where I'm going with this, but let's bear in mind there's a sample size thing. It's like that thing of being a goalkeeper for a big team or a, a team that defends well is difficult because there is only twice a game that you're actually involved in a serious way. Yeah, so you've got to save those two shots. You've got to. You've got to. And if you don't, then your save percentage looks really bad. And is really bad. That's the point. Yeah, it's, well, but numbers It's not, it's numbers. not, it's like, not just that he's not making enough saves. It's that he's not saving enough of the shots that come, yeah. that, I mean, you that wanna, come you his want direction. Your goalkeeper saving 90% of the shots that are being taken on him. And regardless of whether that's... 90% would be, in, would be the best goalkeeper ever. Well, you know, you want him... You, look, whatever the percentage is, you want it to be a little bit above that. Whatever the average percentage is, you want it to be a little bit above that, regardless of whether he's facing five shots, 15 shots, or 50 shots. Well, David De Gea, how many goals do you think he's been good for in terms of expected goals? Uh, three and a half. One. Apparently, he's... he's bloody good keeper, though. <laughs> yeah, the, only, the only numbers tell me that David De Gea is a bloody good keeper. He is, to be fair. He is a bloody good keeper. Now, Owen, we haven't spoken a lot about Aston Villa this season. Well, no, that's true. They have slipped off the radar. They have. Steve Bruce, the manager there, of course, um, trying to uh, uncapsize the capsized ship of Aston Villa. Mm-hmm. Difficult job, but if anyone could do it, truly Steve Bruce can. Um, bit of an incident there, however, um, Aston Villa, a club which Steve Bruce says has got an unfortunate culture of indiscipline. Um some players at Villa are higher profile than others. You know, we know a certain young midfield Tyro who's had a... Still waiting for his first international call-up, of course. Yeah, still waiting. Uh, but he's, 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 he's had a few little problems, uh, what with being photographed unconscious on the road and all this sort of thing, and partying uh, in hotels and so on. Um, but in this occasion, it's not him, it's Ross McCormack. Uh, <laughs> this is actually incredible. Steve Bruce... Uh, Steve Bruce comes out to the media and announces that Ross McCormack uh, missed training, um, and he and he and he's and he's now going to be out of the out of the squad for the time being until his attitude. In my opinion, he's not fit enough to play, and he will not play. And his attitude towards training and missing training improves. If he does, I'll reconsider. But if he continues to miss training, as he has done, that will be the situation. Why did he miss training? He missed training because the electronic gates on his property were stuck. And he couldn't get out. As uh, Steve Bruce says, uh, he said he couldn't jump over a fence that was four foot six inches high. <laughs> there has been too much indiscipline here at Villa. Not in 20 years of management have I ever gone this, down this road of shaming a player, but I feel I have to make a stance. I will not put up with it on my watch. How can I pick him when he doesn't come in? <laughs> that is ex- excellent attention to detail by Steve Bruce, knowing the exact height of... He probably has the same electronic gates himself. I'm I'd, sure. I'd say I'd say his fence is probably a bit taller than that. But like, are you able to get over a fence? To be fair, I mean, whatever about the fence, it's a, it's there's a wall. wall. There's like, a wall. You know, you know, if you want, if you really want to get out, you, you're going to be able to get out. I mean, if there was a grizzly bear, you know, roaming around in the garden, I'm sure Ross McCormick would have been able to, to get over the fence. But it was only. It wasn't. There wasn't like a stick factor like that. There was only the yeah. carrot factor of training being on the other side. And for some reason, that you know wasn't me hamstrings to... have been tight though, boss. <laughs> the, you know, we, I don't. I wouldn't want to risk it. The, there is one other thing though, because we've touched on indiscipline there, own. Yeah. But what about the indiscipline that's been happening at Arsenal? Go on. Mm. What a stunning display of indiscipline it was against Burnley Football Club. Bye. Um. Well, first of all, by, by uh, Granit Xhaka. Granit Xhaka, what is wrong with Granit Xhaka? What is, what is actually wrong with this guy? 
He has been sent off nine times in the last three seasons. I mean, that's two and a half seasons, really. Which is, you know, five times since the start of last season, which is more than any other player in, you know, the top five leagues. Um, six times for two bookings and three times for straight reds, as it was against Burnley. Um, is it is it more stupid to be sent off for a second booking or, or, or a straight red? I think it probably mm. is, actually. I mean, straight red is maybe suggests more that the player has got some kind of a problem with, with self-control. Although I suppose it's second no. two bookings as well. I mean, yeah. two bookings is just... I think two bookings actually shows less self-control than just a terrible mistimed tackle, which is, you, yeah. know, you know, your moment of madness, red yeah. mist descends type argument. Yeah. Whereas if you're... If you can't, if you don't have the self control to modify your behaviour after picking up a yellow card six times in two and a half seasons, yeah, hmm. he's he's top in he's top in both categories though. He's he he's got the two problems, the, the red <laughs> mist and the and the indiscipline. Um, so I, I I think I think a lot of it comes from the fact that he's actually just quite slow. You know, this was a he gets there late, uh, and he and his tackling is crude. You know, he's one of these kind of. Um, German school players who, you know, great passer and like Xabi Alonso, tackling is a recurso, a, re- a recurso to which unfortunately he has frequent recourse. <laughs> um, but uh, Arsene Wenger, after the last time um, Shaka got sent off, uh, he said, uh, Intelligence means you don't make the same mistake twice. I hope he learns from that. Um, <laughs> Unfortunately, Arsene Wenger is in not, not in a very good position to lay down the law to Granit Xhaka because this, I think, is the third time that he's shoved uh, someone else in a sideline situation. The third time that I, maybe the fourth, if you count Martin, did he did he shove Martin Yall one time? There was definitely a, Ooh, a touchline. Up of, yeah, I'll check it out. Um, but but Wenger was sent off and then retreated to the tunnel reluctantly and then was told by the fourth official, no, nah, no. Nah, Going back a little further there, and Wenger sort of looked down at this little job's worth, or at least that's what his expression seemed to say, and shoved him. And you're what like is twice. What are you doing? This yeah. man, you're nearly 70 years old. You've got to stop doing this. The, the previous time that he'd done it was obviously Jose Mourinho, um, which Mourinho reacted very angrily to. Um, it was a very comical image, though. Mm. The long, lean Arsene Wenger and the little yappy Jose Mourinho. Uh, uh, sort of like an Afghan hound and a fox terrier uh, going at it. Um, Wenger pu- pushed him away. But he, there was the, an incident with Alan Pardew as well. That's, that's going back a few years. Uh, he pushed Pardew. Did he push Martin Yall? Like no, I'm just looking at it here. Squared up to him? Yeah, there was some squaring up going on. Robbie Keane got a goal for Spurs in the 66th minute. I'm not sure why there was an issue. Maybe Yall had over-celebrated or something like that because suddenly you see... Wenger walking away and then coming back after something Yard had said and then there's a bit of squaring up, a bit of head-to-head. Not quite into-head, though. So there's no physical contact. No, no, uh, budding. No, uh, no Wenger no, and... Oh, I'd love that there to see you, Wenger and Yard. I mean, it was, it was a, a shameful scene. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, we were all disgusted by it. Wenger said, I thought I could watch it from the corridor. I regret everything. I should have shut up, gone in and gone home. I apologise. Uh, but then defended himself a little bit when he basically said I shouldn't have been sent off. He said, there was nothing bad. I said something you hear every day in football. Overall, nine times out of ten, you're not sent to the stands for that. I don't know if you saw John Sheridan. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> when you paused, I saw this John Sheridan stuff. It was absolutely bonkers. So the match, with the, uh, he had been sent off a while back. I presume it was the FA disciplinary hearing into it. Uh, well, whatever, whatever way it emerged, the referee's report emerged. And gave a bit of a bit of a glimpse, as I saw the headline on top of the article saying, a bit of a glimpse into everyday ab- football language. Yeah, the abuse that fourth officials and referees have to take from time to time. It's the FA's written decision on Sheridan's disciplinary hearing. Details from referee Eddie Ilderton, who took charge of Notts County's 2-0 defeat at home to Wickham Wanderers. Uh, <laughs> Ilderton wrote, In the 55th minute, fourth official Matthew Dunhew informed me that Notts County manager John Sheridan should be removed from the technical area for his behaviour towards himself. I then asked Mr. Sheridan to leave the technical area and take a place in the stands. Mr. Sheridan then said to me, and I quote, You're a fucking disgrace. You're fucking useless. You've not fucking got anything right today. You should be fucking ashamed. You're fucking shit. My kids aren't going to get any fucking Christmas (laughs) presents because of fucking you. Mr. Sheridan then took his place in the stands for the rest of the game. 
however, there was a lot more. There was a lot more than that. <laughs> in, in the fifty-sixth minute. I feel like a certain uh, uh, singer-songwriter is going to get a mention here. Uh, yeah. After Wickham Wanderers had scored their second goal, Nuts County manager John Sheridan and assistant manager Mark Crossley left the technical area to complain to assistant referee Anthony Moore. I approached them to tell them they needed to remain in their technical area. Mr. Sheridan then shouted, directly into my face, you're a fucking James Blunt. A James Blunt. <laughs> On leaving the technical area... Mr. Sheridan approached me again, shouting directly at me, You really are a James Blunt. I'm going to knock you out, you James Blunt. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, three breaches of FA Rule e- E3, or FA Rule 3 <laughs> uh, for Sheridan. So, I mean, I don't know if that's something you'd hear nine times out. I think that's maybe more of a four or five out of ten mm. in football type of an outburst. And I'm, I'm sure Arsene Wenger didn't, didn't go as far as John Sheridan. But I do think that he is going to, Wenger that is, going to get absolutely hammered for this because Jose Mourinho has made such a big thing out of this. He's not really the he is He is the one who talks a lot about unfairness. You know, Jose Mourinho holding his hands up in a handcuffed gesture, talking about the unfairness that he has to deal with every day, every day of his life. And one of them is there's a certain manager who everyone says is the bee's knees. And whenever I do something, I kick a bottle and I get banned. But this guy can do anything. He can go around shoving people. He can abuse people. He can, you know, and, and no one ever does anything. Well, what kind of setup is that? Well, I think that he's going to be watching the outcome of this hearing very closely. And I'm afraid that the FIA are going to come down very heavily on us and finger for uh, this uh, misdemeanor. That is it for today's report and support. Every so often I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to fight someone. John Hayes I'm talking about, Owen. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. That's where it goes from. Thanks a lot, Pepe. Fair to say, anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. Real Madrid stopped the bleeding with a 2-1 win on Saturday against Malaga after a couple of defeats in a row. Something seems to have gone a little bit wrong there. There were 40 games unbeaten before the two losses. Sidlow, why did the wheels come off so suddenly, do you think, and, and twice in a matter of days? I think, in a way, the answer to why it happened twice in a matter of days is the, the fact that it happened once. Um, certainly, that was the, one of the explanations that Marcelo offered after the self of the Vigo game. He, he said that, you know, perhaps the severe match affected us more than we realised. Perhaps the kind of the, 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 the physical and, and mental impact of losing at Sevilla then had a had a part to play in that, that defeat against Celta. I think in a way as well, it, it, it's kind of a bit more logical than it apparently appears. I mean, you look at it and you, you say, OK, well, this is 40 games unbeaten and suddenly two two defeats in a row. But but during those 40 games, there were times when they were on edge. There were times when they, they didn't look like they were going to go unbeaten. And for example, the final of those 40 games, the 3-3 draw with Sevilla, they were they were um, seconds away from losing that. They were very fortunate in a way, although I suppose you've also got to talk about the, the ability to fight back and to keep on going. They were, they were pretty fortunate to draw that 3-3. And so maybe in a way, a defeat was always going to come and, and perhaps it's not that big a deal. I also think you can look at it in terms of um, a month that's been pretty difficult for Madrid. They came back from the World Club Championships. Of course, they've got Copa Ray throughout January, which other teams have got as well. Uh, and perhaps it's really just the accumulation of, of more difficult games. You know, they played Sevilla three times in 10 days. The first time they played very well, certainly for the first half of the game. The second time, they're, they're definitely second best throughout. The third time when they were beaten by Sevilla, they actually weren't bad at all, in, in, in fairness to them. They they played pretty well. They, they controlled elements of the game. It felt at times like they were going to go on and win it, and then they didn't against a genuinely good side. And then three days later, they get another very, very good side. Admittedly, uh, I don't think any of us expected them to lose at the Bernabeu. Had they lost in Vigo, perhaps we'd have said, right, that's normal. Losing at Bernabeu perhaps is a surprise, and they didn't play well. But I think there's a a kind of culmination of factors, and perhaps not that strange in in some senses. The other thing, of course, is now the impact that it has um, for the next couple of weeks, and and in particular whether or not they can get through in the Copa del Rey in the second leg against Celta, there's a a big question about the injuries and the fitness level of the the squad now, because of course they they keep having injuries, and they've had them throughout this run and kept winning, Uh, but it does feel like it might now catch up with them a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it's not all about Madrid, I suppose. We do have to take the opponents into account, as you are mentioning with Sofia, and and they came up against 
Spanish football's man of destiny last midweek uh, when they lost to Celta Vigo. I heard you talking on the Spanish football podcast about Iago Aspas and how much you like this guy. Um, is there any explanation for how he has transformed from one of the most inept foreign signings ever to, to grace <laughs> the Premier League to, to an unstoppable goal machine? <laughs> well, I mean, I suppose in a way I'd, I, I, I kind of probably have to start by taking issue with, um, with the description of him being one of the most inept players ever in the Premier League. I'm, I'm going to defend him slightly. I'm not going to go all the way with the defence, but I'm going to defend him slightly. Um, and, and first of all, you know, let, let's, let's kind of get the, the, the slightly flippant thing out of the way here. But you know, I must admit, every time I mention on, and, and I know Twitter is not you know, kind of a, a window into the world, although perhaps it is a window into people's souls at times. Uh, every time I mention Aspas doing something good in Spain, I get... Countless responses of people basically pointing out that corner, yeah. and and it always makes me giggle a little bit because you always think, oh right, okay, so he must be shit because he took a very bad corner. Well, the corner said, I, I mean, have you, I assume you've seen the corner of this stage, but it was like you know an end of oh, season, it, an end of real. season game when the players all bring their children onto the field <laughs> and they kick the ball around. It was like one of those. It was like a, a player's it's child. Completely, it's completely bizarre, isn't it? But I, I think if someone did actually say to me, you know what, the corner in a way suggests that that, that Yagas is. Iago Aspas is actually really sharp because at a key moment like that, he has the clearness of thought to think of something different, not just to sling the ball into the box. So, yeah, that would work if it wasn't for the fact that he passes it straight to a Chelsea player. Um, in his defence, I suppose I would say that while it is true that I think he looked, um, when he played for, for Liverpool, he looked pretty, pretty out of his depth. But of course, bear in mind the fundamental reason, in my opinion at least, why it didn't work for Liverpool is that it's not so much that it didn't work as that he didn't play. It's not so much that he played badly that he didn't play at all. And when you've got Suarez and, and, and Sturridge ahead of you, when you've got Coutinho as the kind of creative player with them, there really isn't a place in the team for him. And perhaps given continuity, he might have eventually come good. Perhaps it's true that the English Premier League didn't suit him. Because bear in mind, this isn't just a transformation into a good player having been terrible at Liverpool. It's, it's a transformation back into a good player because he'd been very good at Celtic. I mean, Liverpool, while it's true that English clubs have lots of money, they don't chuck £10 million at a player if they don't think he's got something, if they haven't seen something of him at, at Celtic. And he was very good before he went to Liverpool and has been very good after he left Liverpool. I think he is getting better. I think the surroundings are better for him. I think the style is better for him. I think perhaps there's a determination to demonstrate something that, that, that maybe somehow wasn't properly expressed when he was at Liverpool. And, and, and there's no doubt that he is one of the outstanding players in Spain this season. I mean, you take away Madrid and Barcelona players, he could well be, along with maybe Sami Nazri and, and, and Zomzi, both of them at Sevilla, he could well be the best player in our Liga this season. To, uh, talk, talk to us a little bit about Zinedine Zidane uh, at the moment, because you mentioned Real Madrid's injuries and how that's kind of becoming a team. Now, there was a time not so long ago when a team would have injuries and everyone would say, oh, you know, we've been very unlucky with injuries. Uh, and now, oftentimes... It's it's kind of the fingers pointed at the manager and his staff. Why are we getting so many injuries? Is this a case of people kind of bewildered as to what Zinedine Zidane has been doing to be so successful? <laughs> kind of finding it finding something to to criticise them about, or is there a real issue there? Well, I think I mean one of the things that that's been most interesting during this forty game run is that Real Madrid have had injuries throughout it. Uh, I think there was only one player from the starting eleven uh, of the Champions League final, which was Danny Carvajal, who hadn't been injured this season. He now is injured. And, of course, he got injured in that Champions League final. And yet Zidane, it seemed like it didn't matter. The strength in depth was such that every time the player got injured, it kind of didn't matter. Another player went and played well. Even Luka Modric, who felt to most of us, I think, like the most uh, irreplaceable of all of their players, it took two or three games, but, but, then, but then they started to find their feet with it. When Casemiro, the one player who doesn't have a natural uh, substitute in the squad, got injured, again, it took a couple of games because that coincided with that run of four draws. But bit by bit, Kovacic started to play really, really well. Even Marcelo, a player who, you know, the, the replacement for Marcelo is Cohen Trow, for goodness sake, a, a, a kind of a complete mystery to all of us who just doesn't play, who, who, who sort of, I mean, goodness only knows what's going on with him. But they were still finding a way through it. Now there is that sense that, OK, this, this could be problematic. And what it's done is it has posed those questions that, that, that you're suggesting there, which people said, OK, should Real Madrid have rotated more? Zidane has insisted a lot on rotations. But actually, look at some of the players haven't rotated much. So Marcelo has hardly rotated. Tony Cruz, curiously enough, given that he was a player that physically last year seems to be one of those that, that, that was struggling and has hardly rotated. And so there have been one or two questions about, OK, look, should these guys have been protected a bit more in January? 
but 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 of course there's a doubt there, and of course the injuries are serious. But then you you look on the bench, and you, you know you can kind of go along the bench and go, well, that guy cost thirty million, that guy there cost twenty five million, that guy cost eighty million. And so it, it's not like there aren't the resources to overcome it, but there's no doubt these injuries are significant. And this is despite the fact we've kind of completely forgotten the absence of Gareth Bale because it's a long-term one. And we just thought, oh, well, Gareth, Gareth Bale's not there. But, you know, you take Gareth Bale out of the team and you expect it to make an impact. Sid, have we learned any more about Zidane's philosophy, his philosophy as a manager in the couple of games that they lost in this sort of mini crisis uh, have we learned any more during those couple of games than what we learned during the 40 game unbeaten run which was I don't think a huge amount we've touched on this in the past and I'm not sure if anyone's 100% sure long term what, what Zidane thinks about how the game should be played well in a way I think what we've, we've learned is that the, the way that he manages the, the kind of the pressure in the environment at least at this early stage, because bear in mind this is still only two defeats. Mm. Um, one of them is away at Sevilla, a very good side, no disgrace at all. The other's in a cup game where there's still the chance to, to turn it round. Um, I think what we've learned, is, 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 perhaps in terms of the way that he's dealt with it, is, is the same. I mean, for example, the defeat against Sevilla, he comes into the press conference, and I know this doesn't translate brilliantly into, into English, but I'll try and do it anyway. He comes into the press conference, and the first question is, uh, what what was it your team needed? What was it your team lacked to, to, have, to have won this game or to have not been beaten? And he smiled, the same smile he's given us throughout 40 games. And I, I don't want to kind of hang everything on Zinedine's Dan's smile, but it does do something to kind of condition the environment to take the tension and the pressure out of things. And you said, five minutes. We were just five minutes away. And that, that can happen. And bear in mind, by the way, that this worked the other way throughout this 40 game run. The amount of times they, they've rescued games in the last minute is extraordinary. Um, and so he's dealt with that quite calmly. So I think that element of, of his managerial style, I mean, it's easy to say, well, let's see what he's like when they start losing. Well, when they start losing, he's been more or less the same. There's been a couple of small things that I, I thought have been interesting. And, and he's, again, managed them with a certain calmness, which means that it hasn't felt like a rant. But there's been a, a little hint. So this weekend he admitted that he was annoyed. Uh, the word he used was effectively the equivalent of pissed off or, or, or angry or, or, or upset. Um, about the injuries and, and worried about those. And then in the build-up to the game, he'd also said, look, we know that all of those people out there who are not Real Madrid fans want us to lose. And it's the first time I saw a little hint of him saying, you know, everyone's against us. Now, of course, that's true. Everyone who's not a Real Madrid fan does want them to lose. But when you're as big as Real Madrid, to, to, it was a, the very slightest hint of a kind of no-one-likes-us thing, which I thought was unusual from Zan. But as I say, it was done gently. It was what he says is absolutely right. So I, I wouldn't go so far as to say it was a, a slight sign of irritation. I wonder if there was a, you know, there's the potential for that in the future. But so far, he's dealt with everything so calmly, so naturally that if we've learned anything, it's that actually he's going to keep doing that. It's not just during good times. Sid, uh, I wonder what Remedy's uh, reaction is to the news during the week that Manchester United are now the alpha dog when it comes to making money in European football. They've, they've reclaimed their crown after, I think, an 11 or 12-year absence from the top and Real Madrid have just been ruling that. And it looks as though Manchester United are also copying certain other things about Real Madrid, uh, notably the eight-month uh, transfer or pre-transfer campaigns in which they seek to brainwash a prospective new signing into believing that he's always dreamt of playing for the famous Manchester United. And this is happening with Antoine Griezmann. Um, I wonder basically two things. First of all, uh, does this make Real Madrid feel insecure? And secondly, uh, is the Manchester United campaign to implant, the sort of inception campaign to implant the dream of having played for Manchester United into the brain of Antoine Griezmann actually working? Is he going to be playing for them uh, next season? Right. Well, I mean, the, the, the first thing is, and it, it's interesting that every year when, when that list comes out, the, the, the Spanish media in Real Madrid make quite a lot of it. This year they've made not very much at all of it. They've made very little. And one of the things that's been picked up, of course, as you can imagine in Catalonia, is it's not just that Real Madrid are behind Manchester United, it's, it's, it's Barcelona now as well. Um, and there is that concern there. Perhaps Real Madrid now need to start you know, having official staplers and uh, official pairs of scissors and, and other random, random products because Madrid, Madrid don't, in, in marketing terms, do that thing that Manchester United do, which is to do individual deals in individual countries for all sorts of bizarre products. They have, they have big headline sponsors rather than, I think it's five of them, maybe six, rather than, rather than these hundreds of, of kind of fragmented deals. Um, I suppose in a way, you know, when you look at it from the, from the Griezmann point of view and the threat of Manchester United, this was kind of evident in the summer as well because there's a reason why Paul Pogba goes to Manchester United, not to Real Madrid. And that's because Real Madrid, while they 
publicly don't want to put it in these terms, were basically priced out on Pogba. Now, of course, on one level, that's that's the right thing to do. You know, this is a this is a player. You think this is his value, and Real Madrid have filtered that they, you know, they would have been prepared to go in at fifty or sixty million. This is his value, and if the price goes beyond that, you don't buy him. But it, but it still it still is striking, isn't it, to see a, a deal in which there is a player that Real Madrid are interested in, perhaps not interested in quite enough to push all the way. And, you know, if he'd been an out and out Galactico, then I think they would have kept on going. But but he's a player that Zidane wanted, a player that the club would have been prepared to go for, a player that club were were, were, were making an effort to get involved in, in in the process, but then couldn't meet that price or didn't want to meet that price. Now, of course, those two things sometimes go go hand in hand. So there was a glimpse of it there. I think there, there, there is something broader, which is that it's been talked about a lot in Spain, which is the fear of the Premier League in general, just the amount of money that Premier League clubs have. Now, of course, where that's a real threat is not so much Madrid and Barcelona, who can compete with these teams. It's everybody else. You know, so you can have a, a pretty low-level Premier League club that can outbid just about everyone in Spain except Madrid and Barcelona, and that's something that does concern them long-term. Purely from Real Madrid's point of view, yeah, of course it's a, it, it feels like a problem long-term, but they also believe that they can get the very best players, which I suppose so far have been broadly true, and that they still have the pull that perhaps other clubs don't have, although Manchester United are really quite respected in Spain, and they really are seen as an enormous club with something very special about them. As for Griezmann, well, he said himself that he bored of this question. I'm not convinced that that this necessarily is a campaign in terms of getting into his mind. I think it's just a, a kind of keeping the pressure up. He has said that his future is at Atletico Madrid and tied to Diego Simeone. My inclination, but this is not this is not inclination. It's inclination at the moment, given the things that have been said and, and some of the things that we do know, is that. He, in an ideal world, would stay another season at Atletico Madrid in a new stadium with Simeone. And then, to be honest, at the end of next season, I suspect they'll both go. But I'm, I'm certainly not ruling out him going sooner. Sid, great to chat. Thank you. My pleasure. And he is my second captain. Second captain. That's uh-huh. a humorous competition. I saw that. Important man for my selection. Aspas corner here. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't the greatest corner. No. I mean, he got it in play at least. Just sort of directly rolled it towards a Chelsea player. It was as though he was caught in two minds. You wouldn't say about that. It wouldn't be an occasion to use the cliche, he's hit that too well. Mm. It was almost, if anything, he hasn't hit it well enough. Uh-oh. I think I'm about to, you're going to lose me for about two minutes and 47 seconds. Where is it? Top on? Well, in looking for that corner, I've just stumbled across top funny worst football corner kicks HD. Two minutes fifty three seconds actually. Mm. Let's have a little listen here. Ooh, Benny Hill theme tune. This must be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> does, does anyone mind if I have a look at one of them here? Can I no, give you a look please go for it. Let's please, see. Let's turn the. Again, what's this? Actually, hold on a second. Get me glasses on. That's, ah, oh dear, that's not ah. good. Who, I mean, who is that? I don't know. It's hard to even make out what some of these leagues are. Um, so it was what? HD. It's supposed to be HD, or Friday. Okay. The quality is dubious. Did top, you full screen that actually on? Top funny worst corner kicks. Oh my ah, god, that's, that's not a good one. Do you want to explain what just poor. happened there? Because at the moment we're just watching. There was a player just side footing the really ball. Really bad corner kicks. I mean, directly out of what play. more is there to say? <laughs> what, what these corner kicks have in common is the is David theme in common, which is that the ball goes directly out of play within about six inches of the the quadrant. Mm. Um, Hang on, that's an Ar- oh, that's Stephen Davis, Northern Ireland. Yeah, he tries There's a lot to of interface uh, with the corner flag itself. It seems to be oh, there's, there's Rooney in the in the Euros. That was a that was an unforgettable one. I always yeah. like when a player whips the corner flag out and throws it away. It's yeah, yeah. It, 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 he means business. Then you know he's going to hit a decent in swinging corner kick. Yeah, I don't think you're allowed to do that anymore. There it is again. There's yeah, a, so the corner, the, the corner, kicking the corner flag <laughs> is a major. Or kicking the standing foot sometimes seems to be an issue as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there's a, you know there's more than one I just way to skin a cat. There's, there's, there's two players in ankle deep water trying to take a corner kick from a quadrant. One of them just threw it just in a concession to the conditions. Just just threw the ball. You yeah, know, to be fair, four or five feet to his teammate, mm-hmm. uh, and was told to retake it. There was an incident there during the during the week or, or over the weekend. I don't know if you saw it in the 
PSG game, I forget who they were playing, uh, where Marco Verratti did a little bit of a piss take. Marco Verratti had the ball. It's just outside his own box, and, you know, he's kind of like, yeah, whatever. We're winning 1-0. I think it's, I think they're still in the first half. It's difficult to tell because the, the clock only ever gives you a 45-minute clock where you don't know where it's for a second. Anyway, he's there, and uh, there's no one really pressing him. So what he does is suddenly he gets down on his hands and knees and heads the ball back to his goalkeeper who picks – or actually, who – did the goalkeeper pick the ball up? I think the goalkeeper must have picked the ball up because the referee gave a free kick and booked Marco Verratti, which I was surprised by. Hmm. I mean, the referee was saying, oh, you can't do that. That's against the rules. That's against the uh, spirit of the laws or whatever. But I thought it was... It, I mean, you're not listening to me. I'm just looking at the I'm corner case. Sorry, no, no, I'm, I'm trying to listen and also at the corner This I'm corner watching. flag is causing so many people so many issues. It's there for every corner. Somebody, I mean. no, okay, this is, in, this is inexcusable. I've just watched one here where... Somebody tries to take a short corner back to their full back, if you know what I mean, coming up, and doesn't even manage to get it in place. So he kicks it out over his own, over the sideline. Here, we should have a podcast of just us watching YouTube videos oh, yeah. and kind of half listening to Ken, okay. but also sniggering. I've only got about 10 seconds left from everyone as I watch yeah, this last one. Ah, game. corner flag again. Corner flag issue. Yeah. No, standing oh, no, foot. No, standing foot this time. Standing foot's actually funnier than corner flag. You're... you're Actually destroying the opposite Your eagerness to watch this um, yeah. Okay that's over Just got Finish. one more corner He's over hit that corner Ken by a good 70 yards Got out of play You were talking about Mourinho Or something, something there Oh Jesus I think it's just It's really insulting What you just done there uh, It's been great to be back With you guys uh, <laughs> It's been good to have you I back I forward to settling The Richie Satter problem And the other podcast He seemed to impress people A little too much But listen I'll, I'll hold that Yeah Thanks very much What else are we talking about In our non-football podcast today? Well, it's the oh. onward march of Leinster and Munster into the quarterfinals of the European Rugby Championship. Yeah, Cup. and we're going to talk about New England Patriots uh, and uh, Donald Trump's biggest fan, Tom Brady. Uh, Great weekend for Tom Brady. He gets to see Donald truly, Trump's morning. it's in, morning in America. And he lights it up uh, in their easy win against Pittsburgh Steelers. So they're back in the Super Bowl yet again. We'll talk about all of that. Thanks, Ken. Uh, thanks, Alan. Thanks, Murph. Thanks, Ken. Thanks, Thanks, Ken. Thanks for listening. Cheers. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.